On this episode, van life, murals, and the John Muir Trail. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure podcast. Today, I'm really excited. We have a special guest with us, Kristen Bohr from Barefoot Theory. Kristen, I'd, I'd like you to go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Barefoot Theory and who you are and what that's all about. Cool. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, yes, I'm Kristen. I run the outdoor blog called Barefoot Theory. Um, we write about uh, we help people build their outdoor skill set. We write about destinations, and really, we our goal is to empower people in the outdoors. Awesome! And uh, I, one of the things that I'm really kind of curious about is I, because I've been following you for a while, uh, and I know that you spent some time living out of a van, and you've actually built like built out a couple of Sprinter vans, and and you've been through some iterations with that, and you've. You've lived and worked from the van for long periods of time. Uh, what's the? How long have you been? Have you lived in a van? Currently, you're not in a van. I can see because, uh, <laughs> although our listeners can't see this, we're seeing you in our little Zoom chat. We can see you're in a clearly in a house or an apartment of some sort. So, uh, what's what's the latest with van life for you? Uh, sure. Yeah. So we we're leaving tomorrow, <laughs> actually. So. Um... We usually spend about six to eight months a year in the van, and then we spend uh, winter and sometimes spring here in Salt Lake City, where we live, and we have a house here. So, um, but yeah, I'm on my second Sprinter van. Um, I had a 144-inch wheelbase uh, first. I got that one in 2016. I learned kind of what I wanted and what I didn't want in a van. Um, with that first van, so I sold that and then got a new one in 2018, and that's the one that we're currently traveling in now. Nice, and and do you do the work yourself? Do you do like, you know, do you build it out yourself or do you hire someone else to sort of, you know, do the do the conversion? How, how does that process work? Uh, yeah, so I hired somebody to do the work for me. Uh, I am not handy, I am not super patient, and um, I really admire people that go the DIY route, but that wasn't uh, the route I chose to take. So the company that built out my current van, um, they're called Outside Van, and they're based in Portland. Nice. So how does that work? So you just buy the van, you drive it out there, and then you, you leave it with them for a few months, and then you, you know, or, or how long does it take to get like, or I guess probably faster. I'm sure they're pros at this, right? Like, like how long does it take for, for them to like build out a van? Well, uh, so with them specifically, and every company has a, a different process, obviously, but with them specifically, uh, I purchased the van from them, and so I didn't have to take it to them or anything. They had the van already, and the build-out process, you know, took somewhere, I, I don't remember exactly, I think it was like four months, um, about... Um, I think now there's a little bit of weight of a weight because you know the van life movement has exploded, especially with COVID. People see that a van is a great way to travel, where you're self-sufficient, self-contained. Um, so I think now the the wait for a lot of these companies is is a little bit longer. So that you said you were you weren't very patient, so you went to somebody else. But it sounds like now <laughs> it actually does require patience if you go, regardless of which route you go. Yes, no, that's definitely true. I mean, I think um, I'm just not patient when it comes to like learning how to use tools and like being precise with measurements and you know things like that. So um, I think I would probably get frustrated very quickly. <laughs> Kristen, what were the biggest things that you learned from your first van to your second van that were like, like either like totally didn't need this, like it was, you know, or we'll never, you know, get a van again without this? Yeah, so the layout in my first one was totally different than the one I have now. So the first one, uh, I had a, a couch that converted to a bed and I had a full indoor bathroom with a shower and in my new van, it's not that new anymore, but um, the van I have now, 
Um, I don't have any bathroom at all, and um, I have a permanent platform bed. So I just learned that I didn't want to have to make my bed every day. I thought if I was going to be traveling in it only on the weekends or part-time, like that really wouldn't be that big of a deal. But when you're living in it full-time to have to like convert your bed to and from a bed every single day, it just got kind of old. And also, since I work from the road, I wanted like a more permanent desk area. And in my first van, the bed... Uh, the couch was my desk, and then the couch became my bed. And so when I was traveling alone, that was fine. But when my partner Ryan was with me, you know, if he wanted to be in bed while I was working, that, that didn't work. And so in my new van, I wanted like a more permanent workspace, a permanent bed with storage underneath. And we never used a shower, so we decided to get rid of that because, you know, you only have... 25 or 30 gallons maybe of water in a van and so having a full indoor shower at the space dedicated to that when you really have a limited water supply for us it didn't really make a lot of sense shower showers are highly overrated <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well you could probably get like one of those solar showers or something like that right there's like lots of alternatives that you know probably are a little bit easier or more simple <laughs> uh definitely and yeah, we, just... we actually can hook up a shower to the back of the water tank and take a shower on the outside in the back of the van but yeah i think like spending 22 days hiking the john muir trail i was like i don't need a shower like i'm fine <laughs> so it prepared me well for that so how did you first get into van life you know what what started it what kicked it off um so it was 2015 i had started my blog in 2014 and um, I was mostly traveling around the Western US. I didn't really give a full introduction, sorry about that, but I write a lot about hiking and camping and just being outdoors in general and road tripping. And um, I wanted, I, I had just finished a backpacking trip um, in Pariah Canyon on the Utah-Arizona border, which is amazing. If anybody here has heard of it and is interested, I would say definitely do it. Um, but I was driving back, I was living in Las Vegas at the time, and I was driving back to Las Vegas, and I drove by the north rim of the Grand Canyon. I had never been there before, but I was alone. The weather wasn't very good. I was, I, I traveled in a Subaru at the time, but I was really eager to get home and like edit my photos for my trip, and I had only been blogging for a year at that point, so I was really dedicated to like, you know, making sure, um, I was getting the work done and to build my business. And so I decided, oh, I'll skip it. I'll just come back to the Grand Canyon next time. And of course, the, you know, the next time was five years later, four years later. But um, yeah, I got home and I just started thinking, well, if I had a vehicle that I felt comfortable as a solo woman traveling alone that I could also work in, it would make the job that I'm doing and working from the road a lot easier and more convenient. So rather than going to and from my home base all the time, I could just take my home base with me. And so that's what sparked my initial interest. And then I had a couple of friends who had sprinter vans on order. And that's when I started kind of looking into them. And I was like, oh, that's the perfect platform for me because I didn't want like a car with a trailer, like I wanted to be completely self-contained. So in the middle of the night, if I needed to like get in the car and drive somewhere, like I didn't have to go hook up my trailer, you know, get out of the trailer. Um, and so, yeah, that's sort of what led me to a van over a different vehicle or camper type. So I think it's safe to say that you're like an early, early van life adopter. You're sort of like ahead of the game. It feels like now everybody's a van lifer. Um, what were... So what do you think the biggest difference is when you first started embracing like the van life and started doing that versus now? Like what are the biggest changes you've seen in the community and access and, you know, resources, all that kind of stuff? Sure. Yeah. Well, I think van life's been around for a lot longer than, you know, now I think people were doing it way back, way back in the seventies and probably even earlier, but you know, things have changed a lot since I started in 2016. Um, I, we were, I, I was talking with my partner, Ryan, this week, kind of joking about 
like how hard it was to find campsites. Like we didn't know what we were doing. I didn't know what I was doing at all. And I was a lot more fearful of like staying at dispersed campsites that were, weren't really established. Um, because also I didn't really know, is it okay if I sleep here? But now there's so many apps and different resources um, that are kind of at your fingertips all the time to find places to park and places to fill up your water, places to shower. So it's really gotten a lot easier in that aspect. But um, at the same time, you know, the movement's gotten really popular, which I think is awesome because I think it's a really fulfilling, satisfying way to live. But because it's so easy to find the campsites and the things to do, places have gotten a lot busier, which means if you're showing up on a Friday night looking for a campsite somewhere, you might be out of luck. And, you know, that's when you're going to the Walmart um, when you think you're going to get a nice campsite. So, you know, there's been some pros and cons with the invention and growth of some of these tools, but I think overall it's made van life a lot more fun and more accessible and easier. So s some of our listeners might not know uh, in much about or anything about van life. Tell us a little bit about what going to the Walmart is about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so like in a lot of places, um, there might not be any free dispersed camping or they may, may not even be any paid campgrounds or there might not be room in any of the paid campgrounds. So a lot of Walmarts around the country, not all of them, but some of them um, allow overnight parking. So, you know, that is always an option to fall back on. Of course, it's not like camping and it's not ideal, but, you know, since you're self-contained in your vehicle, um, it's not that bad for, you know, a night or two. Um, also like casino parking lots are good options. And, you know, those are kind of the, the places that we'll stay if we're like driving across the country and we are on a mission to get somewhere and we don't have time to really veer off the, the path too much to, to look for a place. Um, sometimes we'll fall back on those options. Something I've noticed as well is like how much harder it is to find campgrounds now. I always backpack, but I drive and I, you know, plan on car camping a night before. And I, I mean, I never even made reservations. You just drive there and like, and like stay. I mean, it seems like there's, especially now with the popularity just in the last year or two that it's, it's kind of like, we need more campgrounds, right? <laughs> I mean, it seems like they're just always full. You can't, you can never find a campground like anywhere. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think it's, it's still possible during the midweek, but on the weekends, it's really tough. Like on Fridays, we try to have a spot picked out, you know, earlier in the day because by Friday night, you know, even the dispersed, everything's pretty much full. Um, you know, in the summer, it's harder. In the shoulder season, spring and fall, while school's still in session, it's a little bit easier. But I do think you know, uh, and it's not just the van life movement, like the RV movement has also exploded over the last years. People can't take their normal vacations to, you know, Europe or wherever else people might be going in the summer. Um, you know, people bought RVs and they're traveling in those. So there's just a lot more competition. Um, but yeah, it would be great if, if we had more options. And, um, you know, I think the, the tough thing is, is with more people out there, there's more impact. And I know here locally in Utah, like down in Moab, for example, even the, the dispersed camping areas are kind of getting trashed. People are going to the bathroom. They're not practicing leave no trace. Um, they're just not following regulations. And so actually they're cracking down and you know, there's a chance that they may make it so you can't camp in those areas at all, which would be a huge bummer. So I think, you know, as the movement grows, it's really important that people know you know, that they're responsible and they know, you know, okay, when I live in a van, like what, what's the protocol for going to the bathroom if I don't have a bathroom in my van and just packing out your trash, picking up other people's trash that you might find at your campsite, um, you know, following fire regulations and just making sure that we're, um, you know, like we're a responsible community as, as van lifers, I think is really important. I went to your website, because um, honestly, I hadn't heard of Barefoot Theory, and I went to your website, I was like, where have you been all my life, Kristen? Hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, you know, tell us a little bit about, you know, blogging and creating your website and creating the content and what inspired you to do that. And, you know, for people out there who are like, blogging's like the best thing to do. And like, I can live as a blogger, like talk about the reality of 
you know, your work and what you do and... I started my blog in 2014. I was uh, living in Washington, D.C. I had spent three years there working in the policy arena, uh, specifically environmental policy, and started to realize that the D.C. life was not for me, and I wanted to travel and get back west um, where I grew up, and I started doing some research like for taking some trips that I might go on when I transitioned out of my job. And in that research process, stumbled on some travel blogs that talked about travel blogging as a career, like Nomadic Matt and The Blonde Abroad, um, which were probably some of the, two of the bigger ones um, back in 2014 and still are really today. But um, I was like, oh, it was a career. Like I can make money traveling and writing about it. And I had kept a blog for fun, um, I had spent three months, two months in Indonesia traveling and backpacking around before I moved to DC. And I did a blog on a platform called Travel Pod, I think it was, I don't think it exists anymore, but um, where I just wrote stories and shared pictures and it was mostly for my family and friends. And I really had a fun, I had a lot of fun doing it. So when I, you know, when that, that so that really caught my eye, seeing that as a possibility as a, as my next career move because um, I had been applying for jobs back west and nothing was really panning out and so I um, signed up for a blog mentorship program and with, with a um, the blonde abroad actually she had like a one-on-one -on -one, um, blog mentorship program so I signed up and I thought I have nothing to lose I want to learn how to do this and see if it's possible and in that, that sort of helped me speed up my learning process. I think I avoided a lot of mistakes just by working with somebody who had already kind of been there, done that. And so a few months later, I quit my job. Um, I moved to Las Vegas and uh, launched my blog two months later um, and told myself that I would give myself a year to see if I could really get it off the ground. And so during that time, you know, I was on, I, I worked at REI, I got a part-time job at REI to like help pay the bills while I was, um, you know, building my business, but I didn't have a lot of disposable income to like jet set and go, you know, to some of these like other countries, like a lot of travel bloggers, you know, write about. So I really focused on domestic adventures that were close to home, like the Southern Utah National Parks. Um, I hiked the John Muir Trail and as I was doing those things, you know, I didn't grow up hiking and camping. Like my parents are not outdoorsy. Um, and so I was really learning as I went. And as I was trying to learn, I realized that there weren't really a lot of resources out there for people who didn't grow up doing these activities and didn't have a ton of experience. Like all the media at the time was like extreme skiing, base jumping, whitewater rafting. It was all extreme. And that's what, you know, Outside Magazine and a lot of these outlets were focused on. Um, and so I saw an opportunity to just share my experience and share what I was learning and, you know, write from an angle that was to help people learn. Um, so my job in DC was to communicate complicated scientific information into a way that everyday people and policymakers could understand. And so I basically just applied that same principle to my, the outdoors on my blog, was just trying to break it down for everyday people. And um, so that's sort of how I got started. And after I hiked the John Muir Trail, um, I published a gear list that I took with me and that was like where my first income came from. People clicked on the links, they purchased something from my list that I took with me on the trip and I started making commission-based revenue. And so each time I had like a little win like that, I just saw the hope, like or I got more hopeful that like this could work. and. So a year went by and I just stuck with it. And yeah, so that was seven, seven, gosh, what year is that? I feel like 2020, I forgot. 
I like have a hard time doing the math now. I forget that year even happened. But um, yeah, seven years ago now. We all want to so. forget that year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we started this interview, you mentioned that we had met uh, at Muir Trail Ranch. Was that when? Were you there when we had a little reunion there, me and the rest of the Muir Project crew? Were you actually, was that while you were hiking the JMT? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We didn't, um, yeah, we chatted, I chatted with you and your team. You guys were in the, um, I, I can't really remember, the, lo- the lobby, the store, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the little common area. And, um I had watched the movie with my parents actually right before I went because they were like, you're going to do what? Like (laughs) they didn't get it, you know? So, um, we watched that movie and then they drove me and dropped me off at the trail. So it was really cool to meet you guys. Um, (laughs) you know, after being inspired by the movie and it helped me get really excited and, you know, helped sort of ease some of my fears that I had going into that hike, you know, without having a ton of backpacking experience. Uh, we weren't too obnoxious. If I remember, if I recall, we did drink quite a bit <laughs> during that reunion. So memories are oh, a little bet. fuzzy for all of us because we hadn't been together in a couple of years since we all did the hike. So you get all of us together in the wilderness and there's alcohol. It, I think uh, we, all, yeah. we all had a drink or two. So I, I apologize in advance if we were uh, if we let you down and we were. Uh, oh, no. You know, you know it was yeah. like 8 o'clock to bed and yeah. zonked out at 8 p.m. every night. So I don't think there's much that could have kept me up after those long hiking days <laughs> cool that's so awesome you got to do it but what was your favorite part of the trail well i want to do it again um but um I, I really liked the king's canyon section it was just felt so wild and you know there were fewer people and the mountains were so dramatic and big and so i really liked that section from it, it was pretty stormy when we hiked over um like through Evolution Basin over Muir Pass. And actually when we got to the top of Muir Pass and there, the hut was there, everybody was like hiding out in the hut because it was like thundering outside. And um, so that was a nice uh, safe haven on that day. But that I'd like to go back and visit that area because it looked really beautiful, but we didn't really get to enjoy it that much. And had you done a lot of backpacking before you did the JMT or was this sort of like your first uh, baptism by fire kind of scenario? <laughs> I, I had done the Ray Lakes Loop. And that's actually when I first heard about the John Muir Trail because we met some JMT hikers um, when we were camped, like right near that bridge. Sure, Woods, and Woods Creek. I yeah. was like, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, like you're hiking for three weeks? Like, oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. But so that was the longest trip I'd ever been on, and that was five days. And besides that, I had been on, you know, a couple of one and two night trips, but really, like, you know, I didn't have a ton of experience and. Um, you know, read a lot, researched a lot. And I think Jeff, you had written about it at that time as well. Yes. Am I remembering that correctly? Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I, I, I think I, I used your blog, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to help me prepare. And, um, yeah, so I kind of went in and you know, luckily we had great weather and had a really successful, awesome trip, went really smooth. And I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> no snow. <laughs> no snow. And, and no smoke, yeah. you know, thankfully now, you know, I'd love to hike it again, but it's, it's so smoky every year. It's hard to know, like, am I just going to get smoked out the whole time? And it's just such a bummer. Yeah. It, it feels like if you do a longer trip, you do like a three week plus trip, you're, you're going to encounter it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I definitely would recommend hiking it again. I did, I did hike it originally in 1980. Uh, the first time, and then I hiked it again in 2010, and uh, it was such, it was like coming home, you know, it's like, I oh, you know, I was hiking with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and uh, uh, it was just like, I could show her these places along the way, and it was really, really fun to be able to go back, and like, it comes back to you, like, oh, yeah, I totally remember it, and when we go over here, it's going to be amazing, just wait, you know, and it, it was it was so much fun. Did you hike it in the same direction? I did, yeah. So uh, both times it was southbound. Um, I might do something different. I don't know that I'll, I mean, I kind of would like to do it again, maybe with one of my kids someday. Um, But um, they don't even listen to this podcast, so I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, It's tough to get a permit. So, you know, I'm happy to do other things as well, you know. So there's lots of other 
you know, we talked a little bit about the impact of, you know, COVID and how all the trailheads are so busy and all the campgrounds are full, but there's lots of places that you can go that aren't busy. And, and I think um, you took this kind of, I'm kind of circling back to something you wrote about a sabbatical that you took from social media, a three month sabbatical last year. And, yeah. uh, and, and some of the learnings you had from that. So maybe talk a little bit about how that relates to what we're talking about with the overcrowding and, and all of that. Yeah, it was amazing. And it actually ended up being uh, September, October, four months. So originally it was only going to be three months. And then I was enjoying myself so much, I decided to take an extra month. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, as, as a blogger, it, it really affects the way I travel because I'm always so focused on going to places that I know I can get the best photos and the best content for my blog. And a lot of times my own personal travel interests also aligns with that because I want to go to those places too. But um, I planned on taking the break anyways, but we um, were in Colorado in August and we had plans to go, we were going to back, we had a backpacking trip in Sequoia in September planned, but then the fires broke out and we decided to go out east instead. And we did a lot of slow, long walks on the beach and, you know, not necessarily the type of content that, uh, I mean, it was awesome and it was beautiful, but, you know, my audience, they're, I think they're mountain people, you know, um, I think they like the beach too, but you know, um, it just like helped me relax and not have to worry so much about getting the perfect photo or, and, uh, coming back from my break, I feel, um, yeah, I still, that is still with me. Like I'm just not on there as much and, um, you know, using it as a tool to connect with my audience and my community versus like an obligation. Um, but on a personal level, I mean, that's sort of the business, but on a personal level, yeah, it just really like allowed me to be more present in the moment and like without, you know, I, I wasn't on there at all. I deleted the apps from my phone. So I wasn't, not only was I not posting, I wasn't using them. And so, you know, it just allowed me to, I read more books. I read like eight books and I- What's a um, book? Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. And, um, well, right. Because now, you know, with social media, I think a lot of times when you have a, you know, 30 minutes to kill, it's so easy to kill that time just scrolling on Instagram and Facebook. But when I, on my break instead, I would actually pick up a book and, uh, it helped me kind of break some of those habits. And I have to constantly remind myself now, like, okay, like this is, you know, is if this is getting out, I need to like keep myself in check because it's very easy to get out of hand with it. And, um, but you know, just being more present, like spending more quality time with my partner rather than both of us staring at our phones when we're sitting at our campsite at night, like just being together and enjoying the sunset or, you know, just really living in the moment. And so it was, it was really awesome. I'd like to do it again. Um, yeah, I, I think I probably will. I don't know if it'll be this year or, you know, next year sometime, but um, eventually I will make it happen again, you know, both for myself and, and my business survived fine. So it wasn't, you know, I was sort of worried, oh, what's going to happen? And, you know, the algorithm's going to do what the algorithm's going to do, whether I'm posting every day on there or not. So um, I might as well just take a step back and not worry about it so much. And, um, you know, just approach it with a more lighthearted attitude. Well, now it's probably not a good time to totally step off it because, because I guess today <laughs> was it today you launched your new, your new club, your new your new site. Your, do you want to tell us about that or your new venture? Sure. Um, yeah. So today we launched the Barefoot Outdoors Club. It's a new online and hopefully in person eventually uh, community that we have built to help people get outside more often and in more meaningful ways. So. Um, our goal is to help people build confidence in their outdoor skill set, to connect them with like-minded outdoor enthusiasts who like doing similar things, and to help transform people's lives through a deeper connection to nature. So 
Um, yeah, so it just launched today. Um, and it's a, a membership based and we have monthly workshops. We're going to have monthly challenges. Um, we're going to have virtual camp campfire chats every month so people can meet and connect with each other. And um, we have a forum and some exclusive content. So I'm really excited about it. I've been working on it for the last few months. So it's really satisfying to, to put it out there and see people starting to sign up. Um, we, we did a 30 day free trial for anybody who's interested, but, um, yeah, I think people are just really craving like a authentic connections right now. And I think, I don't know, for me personally, like with COVID and like not being able to see people out of convenience, like I'm not just running into people. Um, I actually don't drink anymore, but when I did, it was be like, oh, I'll go to the bar and like see my friends or whatever, but I'm not doing that anymore. So those friendships that were formed out of convenience, I'm looking for something new and to connect with people who really I can bond with based on my love for the outdoors, wanting to disconnect and just really supporting each other in things that really light us up. And so that's sort of the goal of the group is to just, you know, build these, um, you know, as we come out of COVID to, you know, build new friendships that are meaningful um, and, you know, with like-minded people and to help people build confidence so they can get outside more often. For the outdoor stuff, I mean, I know on your blog, it's like fan life and outdoor and hiking, camping, backpacking, are there like sort of what are the different kinds of adventures you're going to be focusing on? Or is it still mostly like the hiking, backpacking, camping route? Or are you branching out into other activities? What are your personal favorite activities? <laughs> what are you sharing? Yeah, so every month there's going to be a theme um, centered around um, a specific thing that we're going to learn or focus on that month. Um, so, and then the workshop and the challenges will all be related to that theme. But, um, you know, hiking is... My, like the top activity that my audience like we do a survey every year and that's the most common thing that people like to do um and then backpacking car camping uh there will be some van life stuff but that's not the only thing so it's like if you're not interested in van life doesn't mean the group's not for you but if you want to connect with other people who are also interested in it there's going to be a well there is <laughs> it's no longer in the future there is a uh chat room or topical forum for van life. So, um, but yeah, we try to focus on activities that are accessible to everyday people, stuff that doesn't require a ton of technical skill or crazy equipment, um, you know, that normal people can just go out and do. And um, so that's kind of what we're gonna be focusing on in the group. Circle back a little bit to van life though. If someone wanted to get into van life, like what are your tips? Like what, what would you recommend people do like the first steps to try, you know, do you think they should try it first? Do you think you go just dive in head first? What do you think? Well, um, selfishly, I would tell them to go read my blog. <laughs> um, we have a whole section called the van life roadmap. I actually designed it to be an online course, but then I decided to just put it up on my blog for free. Um, and so we have like probably 60 blog posts related to van life and they're all listed in like sort of the chronological order that you need to think about them. So I think educating yourself first, um, especially like as you're trying to figure out what kind of van you want and what you want the inside to be like, I think the more you can educate yourself on that first, the better. Um, it's more likely that you're gonna end up with the right van the first time around versus do going through the process and realizing that it's not actually what you wanted and needed. Um, I do think renting a van for a week or two is a great option. Um, there are so many rental companies now. We have a, a blog post listing some of them, but there's, I mean, I bet you there's hundreds now all over the country. Um, and so renting one is a great way to kind of test the waters. You know, you can try a layout that you think is kind of what you want and the vehicle that you think you want and make sure that it actually is going to work for you. Um, and actually today in the club, one of the first people who signed up, um, she was saying she thought she wanted to uh, buy an RV 
And so she went and rented an RV and took it out for 10 days and realized it was way too big. And so now she's going to get a van. <laughs> and so, you know, I think just testing the waters first is a great way to figure, th figure out what you want. But, um, yeah, I just wish, like, when I got my first van, I didn't really do the research. There wasn't as much on the Internet then as there is now, obviously. I was wooed by some pretty photos on Instagram, thinking, oh, that's, that's what I want. That's what I want my van to look like. And that was about as much research as I did. And and then realized that, you know, I put a bunch of things in it that weren't really a good fit for my lifestyle. And also, like, I didn't have the storage for the gear that I wanted to bring with me. So, yeah, just the more you could read and the YouTube videos you can watch, um, you know, and also be cognizant of who's presenting the information. I mean, I'm... I'm only sharing my one perspective, you know, um, on my blog, I try to say, okay, if you want a toilet in your van, here's this, here's the different options. Um, I've tried these ones, but it's my opinion of what works for me. And so when you're watching these YouTube videos and someone's like, oh, this is the way to do something, you also want to be kind of, you know, not, not critical, but you want to be you want to be thoughtful of like, okay, like how much, how much does this person really know for me to take their advice and say that's how it should be done, if that makes sense. <laughs> and, and it sounds like it's, it's not like there is a single way that it should be done and that's the best way. It's like there's lots of different ways and just like there's lots of different personalities and travel styles and lifestyles you know, you have to figure out what works best for you. And some of that's going to be a little bit of trial and error, you know, like, like you found out, um, you thought it was going to be one way. And after you did it for a couple of years, you realized, you know, I, this isn't working for me. I want to do something a little different. Definitely. And I, but I think that there's also, you know, there's some stuff I see on YouTube that it's sort of like, mm, like that van looks really heavy. You know, the materials they're using is really heavy and these vans have a weight limit. This is just one example. So you do see some people showcasing things that really aren't great ideas, but if you don't have any experience, you don't know. You're like, oh, that's cool. And so um, that's where like sort of just being mindful of, you know, don't take one person's word for it. If they think that's a good idea, cool. We'll go do some more, a little bit more research to make sure other people concur that that's also a good idea before you decide to put it in your own van. So, so I have two questions. First one's very simple. Like, do you recommend diesel or is your van diesel? And, you know, do you drive? And the second one is kind of a statement and a question. Even though van life is growing, what it, what's kind of troubling to me is I'm not seeing the murals on the vans. Like the awesome <laughs> wizards and howling wolves. The dragon the on the side. So, so yeah. despite the growing in van life, I'm not seeing the murals, you know, on the vans. And that's kind of troubling to me and bumming me out. <laughs> yeah, what's uh, up with that? <laughs> well, so the first question, my van is diesel. It's a four by four um, diesel sprinter. I've never had a gas van, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. But my understanding is the diesel engines last longer and they're also more powerful for carrying the weight that you're going to load up in the van. Um, I do believe Ford makes a gas transit. I'm not sure if the new sprinters have gas option, but mine is diesel. Um, as for the murals, <laughs> Um, I actually was going to put some artwork on my current van and I actually had it mocked up and it looked really cool. Um, but I, a, a few things happened, but mainly, um, I decided that I didn't want to stand out so much and that I didn't want to be people to see my van on Instagram and then see my van at a campsite and put two and two together. I mean, it's one thing if those are good people, but you know, um, I just, I wanted to be a little bit more incognito <laughs> as I was traveling. So that's why I didn't put one on my van, but I have seen some pretty cool artwork on the vans lately. And I might like, if I, if I get another van, I might put like, I don't know, maybe a strip on the bottom, something that's not so vibrant and loud, but you know, just something with a little flavor. Yeah, Je Je Jeff did not go the incognito route on his discovery, so. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I picked up a, an 03 Land Rover Discovery a few years ago, and um, 
Yeah, you can recognize it from anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and do you, and do do you get recognized? Do people come up and say hi to you? No, I I actually don't. Not so much. Not so much. But they'll say, "Oh, I saw you somewhere." You know that that would yeah. be about the extent of it. So it hasn't really been you know problematic for me. But we're not living out of it for a long time. You know, we're right. like driving to the trailhead and that sort of thing. Yeah, you do get a lot of questions. So I guess, and and the sense, I guess, it does work because you do get people asking about the six. That's piece true. Yeah. What's what is that? Yeah, that's a good. Yeah. Yeah, it serves its. Purpose. I have a magnet on the side of mine with like our website and company name, and I always joke. I'm like, this means I can't drive like a jerk. Like, <laughs> I'm always like driving. I'm always like, I have to be a good driver because I don't want people to be like, oh, adventurous women. <laughs> but I can also just take it on and off. So if I want to drive yeah. like a crazy person, I can. But yeah. Well, Severia, if you want to drive like a jerk, you should just do what I do and, and drive a BMW. Because if you drive a BMW, you have to drive oh, like a jerk. People it's assume like the law. That you, are. You, just, you might as well. People are going to assume you're a jerk and you drive like a jerk. So you might as well just do it and, and get the enjoyment out of it. Okay. Yeah. Kristen, I've heard that um, a lot of people try to keep their, their, uh, their vans looking as almost like a commercial vehicle. Because you've got your life in there. You might, you've got your laptop and your backpacking gear. You might have bikes. You might have other stuff in there. And it's like, I, I've heard anecdotally that, you know, those have become targets. You know, so like you're tra parked at a trailhead. They figure, well, you're gone for the day at least. And so, you know, maybe, I, maybe there's something good in here, you know. And, and I think that's a good reason maybe to keep it sort of simple. I guess that's one good thing about the trailheads being busier is that there's, you know, if you're at a more popular trailhead, there's people coming and going all day. So the likelihood of a break in is probably small, but you know, there's, there's different security measures that you can take, like you can have an alarm, um, but you know, you can have a safe in your van with your valuables. Um, but I think also having insurance that protects, the stuff inside in case it gets broken into um you know it's just i don't want my van to get broken into but it is just stuff you know um so it would be you know a violation to me you know in my mind but i try not to worry about it too much and we don't really go to sit like we don't go to cities really or places like we try to just stay in small towns and places where Hopefully, there's not going to be any issues. <laughs> Where have some of your favorite places been that you've van lifed it, or like places you maybe you go back to because you love them so much? Just general areas. Yeah. Not the GPS uh, coordinate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Where should I park my van? No. Yeah, we really loved Colorado. Um, we spent about two and a half months there in 2020. No, 2019. 2019, we spent um, two and a half months in Colorado, and that was really cool. We took our van in a lot of dirt roads where Jeeps and ATVs were kind of looking at us funny, like, what are you doing with that van out here? But um, yeah, we had a great time there. Just really fun driving a lot of those, you know, back roads, going over some of those passes. Um, I really loved Canada. I would love to go back there. Hopefully the border will open. <laughs> some point uh, but I spent about three weeks in the Canadian Rockies area around uh, Banff and Jasper National Park and um, really I mean it's just so stunning there it's a little bit harder to van life there because you have to have a campsite there's no dispersed camping you'll get in a lot of trouble if you do and so it was a little bit tougher in that regard. I was also there. It was like they're they were having some anniversary. I can't remember what year, but it was like all the parks were free the year I was there. So I think maybe it was a little bit busier than normal. But again, it's the only time I've been there, so I don't really know. But um, and then this year, I think we're gonna go up to the Pacific Northwest, hopefully. So nice. Yeah. Jeff and I, Jeff when you Jeff and I went to uh, well we did we were in Glacier and we went up to Waterton and it was free. I think it must have been the same year you were up there because it was yeah. a free. All the parks were free. And when I went to Banff, they weren't. It was actually quite pricey, if I recall. Even might have even been, I think they were charging roughly like, like it was like 20 or $30 a day. So it wasn't like a, you know, US one where you can buy the, the week. I think there are, there was a 
yearly pass maybe, but but it was like, you know, if you were doing four or five days in the park, it was like thirty or forty dollars a day or something like that. Oh so, wow! So it was it was kind of pricey, expensive. yeah, more so than than down here. So uh, you had or- helped organize the Open Roads Van Life Festival a couple of years back. Is that something that is still planned for the years ahead, or you want to talk about that, or no? Yes. Yeah. No, I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. So I organized an event called Open Roads Fest, or I put it on. Um, I hosted it, and uh, it was up in McCall, Idaho. I grew up in Idaho, so McCall is, um, you know, a place I've been going since I was a kid, and um, we had a really cool venue that had mountain bike trails, you know, on site, a reservoir where we had paddleboard demos. Um, so it was just a really cool venue, but it was a huge camp out. We had 400 people camped out for three nights. Um, we had a bunch of workshops on all different aspects of van life. Um, and it wasn't just for people who already had a band. We had about 80 tent campers who came to learn and see vans and meet the community before they decided to make the investment. Um, yeah. And then we had the, we had mountain biking and a, a mountain bike shuttle that took people to the top of the trail system so they could ride down and we had paddleboard demos on the reservoir and there was a Creek running through the campground. It was amazing. And, um, it was so much work to put together, but it was so gratifying and, um, just like seeing how much fun people were having. It was just really fulfilling. Um, we were going to do it again last year, got canceled, um, obviously. And then, uh, this year, you know, the event was in June. And so I don't know. I was just not sure. And I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm me and I have, I have three, um, women who work with me, work for me. Uh, but one girl, Linda, uh, who is, was like the person who really helped me with the event. And, um, you know, being a small team, we just couldn't devote the time and resources to putting on such a large event without knowing if we were going to be able to do it. And I also, with just the uncertainty of knowing, like, am I going to have to go around and police people about how close they're standing to one another? Like, I just didn't want to do that. And um, so I think, you know, we'd like to do it again. Um, It's unfortunate that we had to take two years off after our first year. But, um, you know, I'm I'm confident that if we wanted to do it again, like we could pull it off again. So we'll just have to see kind of what the state of the world is and, you know, any other personal commitments I might have next year. But, yeah, we'd really like to do it again. Oh, well, we hope you keep us posted on that because that sounds like it would be a fun way for people to kind of dip their toes in the water if they haven't already, uh, you know, splurged to get that, you know, fully decked out van or they're buying something used and building it out themselves, they, you know, get a head start. So. Uh, yeah. And if people want to cool. see what the event was like, um, they can go to openroadsfest.com and we have a video from the event and, you know, the website's still up so they can kind of get a feel for what the event is about if, if they're interested. Nice. So, are you, well, you said you're, you're, you're going to travel in the Pacific Northwest, but do you have any other sort of bucket list or any other big trips planned? Um, you know, the van kind of makes you lazy when it comes to planning because it's so easy to just go with the flow that it's like you almost, it's like, so even think about getting a backpacking permit somewhere four months or six months in advance when we have no idea where we're going to be. It like makes it really hard um, because the best part about the van is the flexibility. So um, we don't have a ton of plans this summer yet. We're, um, yeah, we're just going to kind of crew. I, I, my priority has been seeing my family. I haven't seen my family since last summer. So uh, that's where we're going tomorrow is to see uh, my mom and stepdad up in Boise. And um, so we'll be there for a little bit. And then and then we're coming, coming back to Salt Lake for a little bit. And then we're going to go up to Oregon and Washington, I think. And, um, and then we might do fall again in Colorado because that was so nice last time. But we'll see. It kind of depends what happens if the border opens. Maybe we'll, you know, go up there. Um, but, yeah, just, you know, I think last year also taught me to just go with the flow and not get so attached to, like, an outcome or, you know, a plan. Because still I feel like I'm, I'm optimistic we're headed in a good direction. But, you know, um, I don't want to get too, I don't want to get my hopes up too much for any specific thing. <laughs> I think that's a good plan. 
Yeah. I mean, we talked a little bit about the club, Kristen, but do you maybe want to give folks a preview of what the, like, what the first month currently, like, if they were to sign up when they hear this in the next couple of weeks, like, what's, what is kind of on the docket for the first month? Sure. So um, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, in a couple of weeks in June, I will be giving the first workshop. I'm like, so our workshops are going to be different people. They're not always going to be me. Like we're going to bring other people in who are experts in certain things um, to lead the workshops. But the first one um, is going to be me and I'm going to be sharing my exact process for how we find campsites. Um, You know, whether you're camping in your car or in a van, just like the tools and the steps that I take to find good campsites when we're traveling. Um, Because I think that's a question a lot of people have. How do you find campsites? Doesn't it get expensive staying in paid campgrounds? And so just kind of teaching people how easy it can be and just showing them, you know, just things to be aware of if you're going to camp in dispersed areas. So that's going to be the first workshop. We have a challenge um, this month that we're going to be giving away uh, an Arctic Um, lightweight cooler, a 50 liter cooler. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Arctic, but they're kind of like the Yeti competitor. So, um, so we'll be giving away a a cooler as the prize for the challenge this month. And then we have some other fun things planned. So again, people can get a 30 day trial. It's at uh, barefoottheory.com and it's bear like the animal, not bare feet, like no shoes. Bear like the animal, barefoottheory.com slash outdoors slash Outdoors dash club. <laughs> the, the club sounds like a great idea. I love that you're bringing people together around different topics and exp, you know giving them a chance to learn about new things and uh, and and a place where they can connect both online but also hopefully in the future in person. So I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah, one one cool feature is you'll be able to see on your profile if there's other members that live near you. So that's also a way that people are going to be able to connect if they want to in person. Well, Kristen, talking about connecting, what are some of the ways that people can connect with you if they want to learn more about Barefoot Theory or any of the other things that you've talked about? Where can we find you online? Yeah, so I'm just at barefoottheory.com, on Barefoot Theory, on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Pinterest. All all the the places. (laughs) All (laughs) All the places. I'm just Barefoot Theory. (laughs) Unless you decide to take awesome. three months off again, in which case you won't be in yes. any of those places. <laughs> yeah, except for except for the club, I'll probably right. still be in the club. That, but what I really harder. like about the the club is it's it's off social media. It's on a completely different platform. So participating in the club doesn't require you to scroll through Facebook, past a million ads, past a bunch of things that you don't really care about in order to get to the club content. So that's something I'm really excited about. Well, Kristen, hey, we really appreciate you taking some time out to join us for the the show. And uh, I hope you guys have a really good time in the Pacific Northwest this year in your adventures there. Um, There's a lot to see and a lot to experience in that area. Uh, So um, I know you'll have a good time. And uh, we look forward to following along on your website. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. uh, you guys having me. It was great chatting with you all. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Muir Project. Our title track Almost There is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almostthereadventurepodcast.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks. As always, thanks for listening. <laughs>